Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. ScreenFit is a vision wellness program that trains and rehabilitates the visual skills and abilities necessary to support the high visual demands of screen usage in today's modern world. ScreenFit is designed to teach you how to relieve the stress that technology places on our visual systems on a daily basis. The six-week program will empower you with the tools to support healthy visual habits and efficiently use the eyes together as a coordinated team. ScreenFit was created by industry-leading expert optometrists with over 25 years of experience in patient care. Dr. Applebaum and Dr. LaPlaca have developed an unparalleled curriculum that focuses on the practical application of various vision lessons intended to benefit anyone who uses phones, tablets, or computers. With this course, participants will immediately be able to use their newly learned skills and knowledge in daily life. Visit www.screenfit.com to enroll in the program and use our promo code of VIMT2020 for 10% off your purchase. Hi, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. Later in the episode, I'm going to be joined by a guest where we're going to discuss all things clinical research. And for my weekly insight, I wanted to really highlight the importance of your routine eye exam. I really love to bring this up at the beginning of the new year because it's a great time to visit all of your primary care providers, particularly your optometrists, just to make sure you're entering the new year with all of your ducks in a row and that everything looks stable and healthy. I know that I always do that for myself and I, as soon as January hit, called all my primary care providers and lined up all my appointments, like a primary care doctor and my dentist, um, knowing that I can kind of check it off and make sure I'm entering the new year nice and healthy. And the reason I encourage everyone to do this is, as you'll see in our conversation later, in the world of ocular disease, the best treatment and management for a lot of diseases that we have available to us now is that early detection and prevention. And the best way to detect an eye disease early on is through having your routine eye exams. That way, if something is detected, it's caught sooner rather than later. And that, as a practitioner, really opens up our tools that we have to treat you more effectively. So I encourage everyone to call your local optometrist and get your routine eye exam. Now I'm going to be joined by Dr. Julian Terrasolo, who is an optometrist turned clinical research medical writer. And she has a very unique approach where she, when she was in op the optometric world, really treated her patients very holistically and then has transitioned that approach to her clinical research. And she works for Aura, who is the world's leading full-service ophthalmic research organization. And they are really on the frontier of clinical research where they're delving into everything from dry eye to myopia management and inherited retinal disease to really run clinical trials and look to the future to find more effective treatment options for our patients. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Julian Terrasolo. We are so excited to have you join us this morning. And I'm really excited because you have such a unique approach to optometry because you have this background of being an optometrist who then found their way to clinical research. Um, so to kick things off, kind of just tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you kind of found optometry and then fell in love with research. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ellen. So excited to be here. As you said, my name is Julian Solo. I graduated from the Illinois College of Optometry. So I'm an optometrist as well as a senior medical writer at Aura. Aura is a global pharmaceutical and medical device development firm, but we specialize in ophthalmology only. 
Um, my transition was a really, really exciting one. I have practiced for several years, but then felt I really wanted to make uh, a patient impact in a different way and, and in a vaster way, um, if you will. So I, I found clinical research and really loved the idea of advancing ophthalmic uh, development and treatments for some of these untreatable disease that we're facing in our world today. And that was something that was extremely exciting to me and, and have been really, really happy with the transition thus far. I, I love that background. And I think that clinical research is such an important component to what we do in our day-to-day -day when we're treating patients, right? Because we have a lot of tools in our arsenal to treat you know, the bevy of ocular diseases that are out there, but there are a lot of eye conditions where the current treatments maybe don't fully alleviate the disease in terms of what the patient is experiencing with their symptoms and what we see clinically with their signs. So I think it's really important to always continue that frontier of looking into what else can we do for our patients? And that's where research comes in so key. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Aura and your goals working with them in terms of trying to build awareness around research, especially kind of bridging that gap between the clinician and then the research end and getting that information out and, and telling practitioners what's coming down the pipeline so they know how to share this information with their patients. Absolutely. So my role focuses a lot on doctor and sponsor education, as well as patient education and advocacy. So a lot of my main tasks include um, writing uh, publications. So these are trade publications as well as assisting authors with these publications. So trade publications differ a little bit from peer-reviewed publications where they are non-peer-reviewed and they're usually in a lot of those magazines that kind of come through your inbox. Um, either it's in optometry, ophthalmology, clinical research, and it's just to help make, you know, these clinicians as well as sponsors um, more aware about clinical research, just that general education on research, as well as, you know, some of the really cool things that we're doing here at Aura. Um, and then I focus a lot, like I said, on that patient, patient engagement and advocacy. So in the last year or so, I've cre created multiple um, disease education web pages for our um, uh, patient-facing patient website, excuse me, and it's called auraconnect.com. So it's essentially a resource for these patients to kind of hop on and have this information available to them on their particular disease state, but it's easily digestible, easily understandable, it's engaging, and we also include some resources for them, whether it's patient forums or patient advocacy groups. Um, that they may be able to take a peek at or join to feel a little bit more supported with their diagnosis. That's wonderful. And thank you for all that work that you're doing. And, you know, in prepping for this and getting to know you a little bit, um, I know that when you were practicing as an optometrist, you really had a very holistic approach to your patients, which I think really speaks to how Dr. Z and I manage patients too. Um, we always look at our patient as a whole um, and really try to see what can we do for our patient before just jumping right into the maximum treatment and kind of we very much so treat our patients in a stepwise fashion. And I'm, I'm just interested on your viewpoint of how you took that holistic approach to your patients and kind of brought that to research. And were there any particular patient stories that kind of inspired you to, to help bring that approach to research? Because research in and of itself isn't always holistic. It's very medically based, right? And you're looking at treatment options and often 
drugs and medication. So how do you kind of tie those two worlds together? I, with my patients, I um, was always an advocate for giving them every single treatment option available to them um, and being able to provide all of those options, you know, discuss the benefits, discuss the risks, um, and just make sure that they are entirely informed on what they have available to them and be able to make an informed decision from there. With that being said, there are some disease states where there are no treatment options at this time. There are no FDA approved treatment options. And when I look back to when I saw patients, if a patient is coming in for a routine eye exam, they need their you know, glasses prescription renewed, you know, you dilate them, take a look at the back of the eye, and there's some early AMD there. And to a patient, that can be a devastating diagnosis. You know, they have family members, they have friends that might have gone through this as well, who have had really significant complications associated with these diseases and kind of visually debilitating complications. And so that early diagnosis can be terrifying. And the hard thing is, is, you know, we educate, of course, sun protection, diet, rich in leafy greens, antioxidants, no smoking. You know, sometimes there's that supplemental treatment that we can include as well, but otherwise there's not a whole lot we can do. It's just follow-up and monitoring. And for me, that I felt took a lot of power away from me. And I had a really, really hard time with that. And I know the patient did as well. And if I, if I was in that position where I was being told that, I think I would be scared. I think I would be frustrated. So that transition into clinical research to me has become so important because I want to bring life-changing therapies to patients so that doctors don't have to tell their patients, there's nothing we can do for you right now. So that was really, really important to me with that transition. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I think, um, you know, day to day, there's so many conversations that we're having with our patients to that effect, you know, as particularly in the realm of something like macular degeneration, where it's hard to know who in those early stages is going to progress on to more advanced disease. And in those early stages, there's really not much treatment that we can do other than close monitoring. Um, and so I'm really excited to see, you know, what your work and research kind of brings to that world and treatment options to me as a clinician to help me better manage my patients and maybe turn those conversations more positive in terms of this is what we can do for you now yeah. versus just monitoring you. And there's really no preventative methods. And with something like macular degeneration, once you start to lose tissue in your retina, there's no way for us to give it back to you, right? right. So once you start to have that disease process form and damage starts to occur in the retina, all we can really do is try to mitigate further disease progression. There's nothing we can do currently to really restore that retina function. Um, and I think that's where hopefully treatment is like moving to in the future. Um, and I would love to hear what you're kind of working on in aura in terms of with the retina and disease processes that affect the back of the eye and where are things going? I think there are really cool things going on in clinical research right now associated with retina. Um, a few that come to mind initially are some of our biosimilars. Um, so these are kind of biological agents that um, match some of the current anti-VEGF agents we have on the market right now. The, the great thing with some of these agents is, is most likely they're going to be a significantly cheaper, significantly less expensive than current ones on the market. And I think this just goes to show um, the importance of, of access for patients. And I know that that cost can be extremely daunting for a lot of patients, especially when 
anti-digest treatments are, are repeated um, every few months. So I think that's something that's really exciting that's coming down the pipeline for, for a lot a lot of our posterior um, disease patients, whether it's diabetic eye disease or, or macular degeneration. Um, another are gene therapies. So gene therapies really, really excite me because you're essentially kind of removing or editing this harmful gene that's being expressed. And, and sometimes there's a possibility of kind of adding this helpful gene. And it's so incredibly cool. Um, this gene editing is, is, is really, really interesting. And it has the potential to have a one and done treatment um, and, and the patient doesn't need these kind of repeated anti-VEGF uh, treatments, you know, in, in the case of wet AMD. But on the other hand, we have a whole host of these inherited retinal diseases that don't currently have FDA treatments right now. And you kind of come across that conversation, again, similar to early macular degeneration where, you know, there's not really a whole lot that can be done just um, kind of support for these patients um, is, is pretty much the only thing we can do. And, and with these gene therapies that are, are, are coming down the pipeline and, and possibly will be FDA approved at some point can really, really change the life of some of these inherited retinal disease patients and, and provide more hope. And I think that that's where the education becomes so important with optometrists and ophthalmologists. You know, if an optometrist has an inherited retinal disease patient and there's no current therapy now, that doesn't mean that there won't be in the future. Um, and I think that's where that foundation of education is essential. So a patient is aware and they can do their own research and come to the, their doctors with research and, and really be an advocate, advocate and a champion for themselves and for that doctor to be, be a champion for that patient. And I think that's such an important point because, you know, especially with inherited retinal disease, like you said, a lot of times it's just monitoring um, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, scary for the patient. Some of those disease processes really advanced disease leaves you with very low functioning vision, right? Very decreased visual acuity, potentially reduced peripheral vision. Um, so anything that we can do on our end to help these patients to maximize the vision that they have can make a world of difference to them. And I think what's so interesting with the gene research too, is it can help with that fear that sometimes they have of, am I going to pass this on if I have children, right. right? So I think the more that gene therapy is studied and in turn, then genetics are being studied to help facilitate that. It's going to help maybe us educate our patients better in terms of what the risks are involved. Um, Cause you know, I've had a few young female patients with inherited retinal disease who are then scared, frankly, to, to have children because they themselves know the impact it's had on their life when they have vision loss. And to bring a child into the world and potentially pass that on to them is very daunting um, and something that you, you can't take lightly when you're deciding if you want to have children or not. So I, I think that this whole area of research is really going to be life-changing, especially in, in patients who have retinal disease. I couldn't agree more. So now I want to um, just pivot to a little bit of a different area of research that I know Aura is working on, which is myopia management and progression. And that's something that's kind of near and dear to Dr. Z and I's hearts. You know, we're both myopes. Um, we both have young children and we're really, you know, kind of 
trying to monitor them closely and work on ways in our day-to-day -day life that we can try to help maybe prevent some myopia progression or development in them. Um, and it's something we've talked about a lot on previous episodes. Um, so I'm just curious what Ori is working on in terms of research in that area. The myopia progression space, I think, is something that's really essential, especially nowadays with a lot more increased near work. We're definitely seeing an incre increased prevalence of myopia. And yeah, especially with, with young children and, and because you're so well educated, you, you look for it. Um, and, and, you know, if I have kids, I'll be doing the exact same thing and be very diligent about it. But it is really exciting knowing that there could be FDA approved treatments in the future. You know, I know we, uh, a lot of the time, you know, there, there's contact lenses, glasses, what have you, or it's okay that can, we can be using now, um, uh, which is incredibly exciting, but to see more options come to light, I think is, is gonna be really important. At this time, I know atropine is of course used off label, to have that, hopefully, you know, in the in the future, have it FDA approved, so more physicians do feel more comfortable including that as a treatment option. Again, it's just it's adding more options for our patients so that they can make an informed decision with their eye care provider um, that fits best for them. So I think bringing any options to the table to help. Um, prevent this myopia progression, and then of course prevent these complications, these retinal complications that can occur down the line is, is extremely essential. And I think that's the big concern with myopia progression is when you get to those higher levels of myopia, then you're starting to look at not just the glasses prescription, but potential retinal disease, because as the eye starts to grow and become longer and the retina stretches, you're much more likely to develop changes to the retina. So I think on our end as clinicians and you working in research, we have to do everything we can to try to help stave off myopia progression, which is really becoming an epidemic in the visual world. And that's again, where, you know, you really hit the nail on the head before about like education um, yeah. in terms of like you in the research realm, educating optometrists, and then as optometrists, us educating our patients that there are this whole bevy of treatment options out there and that things are always changing and evolving and there's going to be new treatment options in the future too, which I think is exciting. Exactly. And so to kind of just wrap up, if you wanted to share one to two like takeaways for our listeners, just based on your whole experience that you kind of want to share. Thank you so much. Um, I think one of the, the most important things for clinicians to, to remember is just educating patients on various treatment options and staying really up to date on clinical trials in your area. I think establishing those relationships with local ophthalmologists and other optometrists that are conducting clinical research is really important. And oftentimes those relationships are wonderful to build and are usually mutually beneficial. Um, so I, when I was practicing, you know, if I had a, an ophthalmologist number in my phone, just knowing that if I had something emergent or urgent, and I just kind of wanted to text them and, and, and get their opinion on it, you know, that, that to me is, is giving a patient the best care. And I think in the same way, having these relationships with clinical research sites and these investigators, these ODs and MDs that are conducting the clinical research is so, so important so that, you know, if your patient does come in and has macular degeneration or has early diabetic retinopathy in the future, if there are clinical trials that are being conducted in the area, 
you don't have to say, you know, there's not really much we can do at this point. You can say there is an option if that's something you're interested and that the patient can be well informed and have every single option um, available to them. So I think that's, that's definitely a huge takeaway for sure. And I think just being really educated on, on upcoming clinical trials and potential therapies that could be coming to market in the near future um, is, is only beneficial for an optometrist and, of course, is, is equally beneficial to their patients as well. Absolutely. And then in line with that, um, where can people listening find out more about you and Aura? Um, so kind of share how they could get in touch with someone's Aura or where they can find and follow you. Um, you can get in touch with Aura on our website, auraclinical.com. You're able to, there's a, a button you can click um, and you should be able to get a hold of someone there. Um, but you can also reach out to me personally. I'm more than happy with that. My email is jcherisolo at auraclinical.com. I'm sure we can, we can throw that in the show notes as well. Um, and then if, if doctors do want to take a look at our patient-facing website as well, please feel free to do so. Um, we also have um, opportunities to look at some of our trials as well, Aura Connects. Com. Wonderful. And I will post all of that in the show notes so that people can find you. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me this morning to have this wonderful conversation. And to our listeners, we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Follow us at Twin Forks Optometry on Facebook and Instagram. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.